our almighty and holy God. We come before your awesome presence, humbled. Because we know, Lord, that you are the God who created the universe, who created all things, and gave us your word so that we can know what your expectations are of us, so we can understand your nature, so we can know how to live and how to please you and how to walk by faith. And Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence, again as a group, as part of this worship service, we know, Lord, that you are not just arriving because you're everywhere and have been here. But we pray, Lord, for a special pouring out of your Spirit as we would look into your Word now and meditate on it. That you would pour out our hearts and empty them and fill them with your message. May the speaker here not be a hindrance to what you would speak to us this evening. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For a scripture this evening, I found with God's help, would like to read from the book of Exodus, chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, would like to begin reading with verse 11. The setting here is that the children of Israel are at the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses is about to ascend again into the mount the second time with the second set of stone tablets. Beginning of verse 11, these are some of the words that the Lord gave to Moses. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods." and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. When Jesus was asked what is the first or the greatest commandment, he quoted from Deuteronomy 6 and began with, The Lord our God is one Lord. There is no other. The God that we serve is the God who created the universe, created everything. He is the only one true God. There is no other. And he went on to say, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Thou shalt love him with all thy soul. Thou shalt love him with all thy mind. And thou shalt love him with all thy strength. 
God from the beginning has demanded exclusive worship. God set out that He is the Lord and there is no other and no other is to be worshipped. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Not before me as in in preference to me or or as as a majority of your devotion over me, but no other gods. And yet God's people from the beginning have continuously rebelled have continuously, in the, the harsh words here, gone whoring after other gods, committing adultery against the true God who, who purchased them and bought them and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. We can look from the beginning of the book right through this particular passage of Scripture as the Israelites find themselves in, in the wilderness, the foot of Mount Sinai, and see a cycle over and over again of getting lured away after other gods. Sometimes, like we read in our theme text, it's, it's the gods that Abraham and his father served on the other side of the flood in Ur of the Chaldees. Sometimes it was the gods from Egypt that they brought with them. And sometimes, and as the Lord was now warning them, It was the gods of the people into whose land they were coming. And God would send them trouble and deliver them into the hands of their enemies until they would come to the point and say, we have sinned. And God would chastised them. Some were punished. Many died. But God forgave them their sins and gave them another fresh commandment like He gave here. See, the children of Israel had just come out of Egypt. God delivered them with mighty signs and wonders. The plagues that we're familiar with that affected all the land of Egypt. And then God led them out of Egypt with His presence before them his glory in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night i i can't stop imagining over the last months as i've i've meditated on on their example what that sight must have been like as they left egypt just imagine it for a moment i don't know how many millions they were you could imagine them like from a distance like ants led by this giant pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. The glory and presence of their one true God leading them. And it wasn't long that the people began to murmur. And I often think to myself, couldn't they just look at the pillar and see the presence of God? What do you mean you want to go back into Egypt where life was good? But that was their heart. And then we can read in just just a couple of chapters previous how when Moses went up into the mountain, the Bible tells us that the mount was on a smoke. It was a blazing inferno. There were thunderings and lightnings 
The presence of God descending on the mount and Moses with his servant Joshua went up to speak with the Lord. The pillar of cloud and fire remained by the camp as they waited. And Moses went for some 40 days into the mountain. The Bible tells us, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods. What? Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. This guy has been gone 40 days. Make us gods. Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. In the background, the mountain still smoking, thunder, lightning, the pillar the very presence of God right there. This gold cow is what brought us out of Egypt, is what they said. And so we can understand the context. And I believe it was, three, if I'm not mistaken, 3,000 people that perished that day because not only did they make a God, but they began to indulge in the lustful and disgusting rituals of those gods. Most believe that that golden calf was the Egyptian god of nature. So somehow, after being delivered by God with never before seen signs and wonders and miracles and having his presence go before them, somebody thought it'd be a great idea just, to, just in case maybe bring along some of the Egyptian gods. And so as God punishes them in, his, in essence renewing his covenant with them, he tells them these words. Observe what I'm commanding you. The people of the nations into which I'm sending you are to be exterminated. And you're not to go after them and their gods. It says in another place, even after I exterminate the people, don't you dare go and inquire about them and say, let me see how they serve their gods. Avoid it like a plague. He told them that kind of behavior is like adultery, like prostitution, spiritual adultery toward this God who had purchased them and redeemed them and was leading them and committed to be their God. And this cycle goes on from this point as we go forward, goes on and on and on. 
this God who commanded exclusive worship, who commanded that I am the one true God, I am the I am, and now shall have no other gods before me. And continuously having to see his people go after every God of every place they came, every God they brought with them from hundreds of years earlier from the different places they were. There are many scriptures like this one that we can find throughout the Bible. In Judges 10, we read, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served not him. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. In that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel. Eighteen years, all the children of Israel that were on the other side Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was sore distressed. Again, God brought on them trouble sold them into the hands of their enemies. Israel was sore distressed, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. Here we go again now, a time of trouble. They come back to the God who answers them, the God who hears them, the God who can speak and hear and see. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also, and the Amalekites and the Maonites did oppress you? And ye cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. God's reminding them again how faithful he's been to them, how he's fulfilled his promises, and they went after every God they can imagine. I delivered you out of their hand, yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. God says, go and cry unto the gods which you've chosen. Go to those gods. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. This is God's reaction when his children fall into idolatry. You want to pursue after those deaf, blind, and dumb gods? Go. Let them help you. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee, this day. Lord, just this one time, forgive us again. We'll deal with the consequences. Just deliver us from this trouble we're in. And they put away the strange gods from among them and serve the Lord. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. This is what God was dealing with. Continuous rebellion against him. Going after every God under the sun from every nation and every place whose paths they crossed. So what does this mean to us? 
What does idolatry have to do with us? It's a horrible word. We know it's a horrible sin. Surely it has nothing to do with us here. I mean, after all, we all took time out of our schedules to come here and shelled money out of our pockets to be able to come here and enjoy this week and be refreshed spiritually, be renewed. None of us have a a golden cow on our mantle at home, I'm sure. None of us worship the gods of the Egyptians and the Zidonians and, and, and those from the land of Ur. None of us worship Buddha. But loved ones, idolatry is not just a molten image. It's not just a carved image. Idolatry is deviating from the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love Him with all thy heart, and all thy soul, and all thy mind, and all thy strength. Loved ones, as ugly as this sounds, committed Christians can fall into idolatry. Faithful believers and church attendees can be idolaters. Those who may be working in mission fields can be idolaters. These people we just read about were not some strange nation that didn't know God. They were his own people. And so we can't for a moment think that if I'm, if I'm very faithful, if I'm a, I'm a minister in my church, if, I, if I'm very committed and, and devoted to Bible study and, and serving in every capacity, that we're exempt from falling into idolatry. We have to examine, we have to open our hearts. Because the tendency when we think about such a horrible word like idol worship is to say, well, that's, that's not me. Cannot be me. Couldn't possibly. But we heard a little bit on Monday Brother Phil's message about the God of self. The God of me. Loved ones, we must wake up and perceive what kind of world we're living in. Because I believe, and I speak for myself, I believe we are sound asleep. I believe we're asleep. We're completely oblivious to the fact that this world is doing its best. Satan is doing his best to mold us and shape us into making gods out of our own selves. The world gives us the philosophy of enjoy your life. You don't need to tell someone to, what to do and where to go. You be your own man. Be your own woman. You, you call the shots. It's like we read in the Bible. Everything did that what was right in their own eyes. That's how you need to live. If it feels right, do it. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. You're not obligated. Forget a moral code. You be your own compass. You be your own barometer. And if it feels good... It's for you. Sound familiar? Do we think, loved ones, that that hasn't...
crept into the church? Do we think that that doesn't a little bit describe us? That that's not a little bit me? This mindset leads to sloth, laziness. How often have we talked, even, even here in, in recent camps and, and, and sermons, about apathy? What is apathy? It's an I don't care attitude. It's an I'm not going to be moved by that attitude. It's a I'm going to look out for number one attitude. We were joking a little bit earlier in the week about how many times we have to make announcements about we need more volunteers. We, don't, we have more, more uh, positions than volunteers. Is that strange to you that that announcement has to be made more than once? Or should the announcement the second and the third day be please stop coming to the office and trying to volunteer. We're full. We got backups. We're good. What kind of spirit or attitude is it that makes me say, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like it. Someone else will do it. It's good. Is our worship of God something less than exclusive? Is there, like Ananias and Sapphira, just a little bit, a fraction maybe, I'm keeping back for myself? Just a part that maintains my level of comfort in my mind with where I am and what I'm doing, that's mine. And don't, don't try to take it. When we're asked to do something, what kind of spirit is it that, that allows me to say, no, that's not for me? How dare I? Who am I saying no to? Yeah, maybe a brother or sister came and asked me to do something. That's God asking me. No thanks, Lord, I'm busy. Don't feel like it today. That kind of attitude, make no mistake, is coming from the God of this world that wants to make a God out of our own selves. Oh, this is not new. We can go back and look in the, in the very early chapters of the Bible. There's a dear, dear brother from back home in our area who was, who was always studying and, and, and very interested in, in idol worship and how idols were formed. And, and he would always mention Nimrod, you know, in the, in the, in the Bible. I, re, I believe it's Genesis 11. Um, says there that, that Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And we can read even in, in Genesis 6, just before the flood, that there were these men who were of renown, men of old, these mighty ones. Make no mistake that the worship of man began in those early times. And it continues today. And we don't see it. We think likes and followers is cool. Pretty good. 
Loved ones, we are asleep. Asleep. And the enemy of our soul is little by little. Look at the, look at the adjectives that describe the devil in the Bible. We, we studied some of them in one of our classes this week. In, in Genesis 3, we can read that the serpent was the most subtle. Cunning. Cunning craftiness. He's crafty. The father of lies. And he is working slowly by slowly to continue to put us to sleep and to inundate us with a thought process and a way of thinking in a way of life that is nothing but old-fashioned idolatry. Non-exclusive worship. Oh, he doesn't want any of us to think for a minute that we're not Christians or we're, we're fallen from grace or, or, or we're, we're, we're at risk of losing our, our spiritual life. No. Oh, no, no. He wants us to think that we're extremely committed, committed to our churches and our families and the Lord. But what does our life tell us about that commitment? How do we use our treasure and talents and time? How do we spend our time? We talk always how we're so busy. What are we doing? Loved ones, what are we doing? I'm afraid that the devil is filling our time with his tools. Slipping in little bits of Hollywood. Slipping in little bits of the world view in our schools, in the, in the politics of our lands. Slowly working to dissolve the beautiful marriage that God instituted and to spoil and ruin the family and the role of man and woman. It's incredibly insidious. We don't see it happening. But in the last short number of years, the world has changed. People are growing up to learn that the horrible sins for which people were stoned to death in the, in the Old Testament are normal. In fact, they're, they're quite widespread, is what they'll have, it, have you believe. And unfortunately, those lies beget the truth. Loved ones, I'm concerned that at a time when we are to be influencers in this world, when we're to be, when we're to be light and we're to be salt, we are the ones being influenced. When I hear, when I hear Christians watching some of Hollywood's movies and, and TV, it's, it, it's unreal. And I think sometimes we write it off in our mind, oh, it's just, I don't, yeah, I watch a movie every couple, month, couple times a month, maybe, here and there. I watch this show here and there. It's not bad. There's a couple parts, but I can tune them out. Loved ones, those, those indiscretions are not that. That's not an okay way to spend some leisure time. That is sin. It is idolatry. The movies and, and, and film and media of this world 
are blatantly sinful. How do you think God feels when I take just a fraction? Mind you, I'm, I'm a com- committed Christian. Faithfully attend church and support my church and its functions and, 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 and the work. But how does God feel when I take just a little bit of my time? I'm just going to, you know what, long day. I'm going to unplug a little bit, unplug my brain. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. Not only, loved ones, are we filling our heads with images of sin, but we're just continuing to put ourselves to sleep, desensitizing ourselves. I can tell. If you stop and zoom out, we don't even react the same to some of the sins that are now prevalent in our society as we did just a few short years ago. That's how fast the world is changing. That's how badly Satan wants us asleep. And this insidious deception, the little by little decay of moral values in the society around us. And loved ones, we are picking it up in the church. Because we want to be like the Israelites of old and I I want God right there on my shelf where I can, anytime I'm in trouble and the, the, you know, the nations around me are, are, have me under siege, when I'm in a difficult time, I can go to him. But I also want to keep back part of the price. I also want a little bit of my own relaxation time. We don't even, we, don't even, we, we, we lighten it. We lighten the words and we put ourselves to sleep and we're worshiping idols. The laws in our lands are changing to encourage godlessness. We can feel and see a time coming where Satan, it's, and it's already happening, where Satan is going to have the world believe that Christians are haters. And that's why they're speaking out against these alternatives. Because they hate. The godless world, where maybe in past years tolerated us, even if they didn't want to hear our message, is going to reject us. The laws of the land will support that. What will we do? Are we going to be lights in this world? We're going to put our light under a bushel. If we look at ourselves, even here, we've changed, even, even physically. I'm not, my intent is not to get on a soapbox about adornment, but my point is this. We are being desensitized and we are being influenced by the world, and God hates it. God hates it. The goal of the enemy is to have people growing up today hooked on Hollywood, hooked on pornography, hooked on the internet, spending hours a day playing video games. That's beautiful for the devil. That's perfect. We're not using our head. 
Just think about the imagery of, of, of sitting in front of a screen. Isn't it just like being in front of an altar? Think of how you bow your head to your device. Think of the imagery. You may laugh, we may think it's funny, but loved ones, we're asleep. And God is calling us to act. We're concerned about how to limit our screen time and how to, how to you know, only have it be as a, as a privilege with our children and, and certain time and try to keep an eye on what they're doing. Look at the words... Look at the words the Lord uses. Destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves, burn them with fire, grind them to powder. That's the word, those are the words the Lord used when talking about how to deal with idols in our life. Don't put it on a shelf so you can pick it up only sporadically or on a rare occasion. Destroy it. Today we might say, smash the screen, cancel your service, do something drastic. Bible says if your arm offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Better to live maimed than to die whole. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? Is watching a Hollywood movie now and again still feel good, still feel okay? Still feel right? Loved ones, we're being asked to break down the altars. God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He is the one true God and him only shalt thou serve. And we want to we wanna bow our heads to the God of this world, to the devil. Let his philosophy seep into our brain, soak it up, changing who we are so slowly we don't even notice. No clue. Don't take this the wrong way, I'm including myself, but we are asleep. And so what does God ask us to do? I pray that in our mind we're not like the people when Joshua spoke to them and told them to choose. You want to go after the gods from Ur and from Egypt or, or, or the gods in, in the land you're going? You choose. But as for me and my house, we'll choose the Lord. No, no, God forbid. God forbid. No, 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 no. We're Christians, right? No, no, God forbid. We'll, you know, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and through the wilderness and we'll serve the Lord. He said, you cannot serve the Lord. For he's holy, he's jealous. He will not tolerate your idolatry. He won't forgive your iniquity and your sin. So my brother and sister, if we're thinking for a minute that, no, 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 no. Maybe that's us. Hear the words of Joshua. You cannot serve him. Can't. He's not going to tolerate being on a shelf with a few other gods. He doesn't want to be the 99% majority in your life. He doesn't want to be the God that most of your devotion is toward and most of your time is, is, is spent in, in obedience to. He doesn't want part of me. He wants all of me. And it's all he asks. 
And we better have our attention peaked when we look at the cyclical example of the children of Israel. Saved, then back into idolatry. Punished, but rescued, back into idolatry. Over and over again. This doesn't end, loved ones, in the New Testament. Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, don't be idolaters like they were. Don't be fornicators like they were. My beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. Idolatry is not something we walk away from or limit our exposure to. We run. We go. We run from it. We fear it. Because God demands exclusive worship. John ended his letter, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Such an endearing term. Little children who may not have experienced, may not be well-read enough to have seen the examples of others, may not have experienced in your own life how idolatry can creep in. So insidiously, little by little, you never notice it. You go right to sleep. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's the call to us today. So loved ones, as we consider the children of Israel and their quick answer, no, 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 we'll, we'll serve the Lord. We're with you, Joshua. Our house too, we're with you. Hear his words that says he cannot. He's holy. He's jealous. He will not forgive your iniquity and your sin. He doesn't want a part of me. He wants all of me. So loved ones, we have to make a choice. This choice is not something that can wait for January to make a New Year's resolution. Don't wait until you get home from camp. Don't wait until you're back in your room tonight. Choose this day, right now, what you're going to do with the idols in your life. God, I pray, is revealing like he has been to me this week and is right now what those idols are in your life and in my life. And he's asking us to choose right now to break them down, to utterly destroy them, grind them to powder, burn them. Let's all rise to pray. Almighty God and our Heavenly Father, Thou hast scolded us this evening. Thou hast examined us, and hopefully we ourselves. Thou hast told us that before the bridegroom comes to claim his bride, all of the virgins fell asleep. We pray, Heavenly Father, that this message might resonate through these benches like perhaps has never happened before. The message is not just to the lost. The message also is those who are getting lost in the things of the world that entice us. We're being fooled by things that for some reason are less sinful than they ever were. Not so. God, 
hates sin with a perfect hatred. But there's good news. And that is, this very moment is the beginning of all the rest of our lives. No matter what we've done, no matter our relationship with you, no matter how lost in sin some are, this is the beginning of the rest of their lives. A choice can be made by all of us that will please thee and grow the spiritual value of the church. The church is no stronger than its weakest member, and Satan knows exactly how and to whom he may offer his baubles that glow for a time and end up in ashes. So the question is, not what shall we do? The question is, Lord, cleanse us, renew our minds, renew our spirits, and bring them into the center of thy will again. And this old soldier who's standing here, who has followed you for over 70 years, is no exception either. And so we offer, you offer, to all of us what is needed to become at one with thee again. And that offer is too precious. That offer is too timely. That offer is too important to turn down. And if those that are really lost, because they have never changed masters like most of us have, we pray, Father, that they might realize that they also are not the only ones who have to give it all. But the sisters rightly sang, and the brother powerfully preached, we have to do the same day after day after day. We must do, as Peter said, that we should sanctify our hearts unto the Lord, that those that witness who we are might see someone that is so outstanding and different that they will come and ask us about the hope that lies within us. When was it the last time someone did that to you? Heavenly Father, we thank Thee. We've, we, we've, we've had a whipping of sorts, and Thy Spirit certainly knew who the brother needs to be, and we certainly don't praise him. We praise You, but we thank him for being bold enough to speak the truth no matter, no matter how much it hurts. Any healing has to hurt or we haven't recognized the disease. Thanks, praise, honor, and glory be to Thee, O God, for Thou art worthy. Forgive us our transgressions and enable us 
to walk more perfectly in thy sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.